This is The Guardian. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Looking for your next great podcast? We live in unprecedented times. To make sense of it, what if you could learn from some of the most influential people on the planet? The podcast Tools and Weapons is hosted by Microsoft's Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Every week he has a candid conversation with guests, including Prime Ministers and Pulitzer Prize-winning journalists. The latest episode features Bayer CEO Bill Anderson. Though most of us know Bayer for pharmaceuticals, they're also focused on crop science. They're putting digital tools in the hands of farmers to get the most out of every acre. Listen to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts. 2022 saw record after record broken for extreme weather events. Heat waves in India. Now, anyone who's been to India knows it gets hot, but 49.2 degrees is something else entirely. Droughts in Europe and East Africa. Record-breaking heat waves linked to climate change have dried up rivers across the continent and sent water reserves plummeting to historic lows. Floods in Pakistan. There are now fears of acute food shortages after the series of devastating floods have led to just over 1,200 deaths. If you thought we might get lucky in 2023 and have a bit of a let-up, bad news, I'm afraid. El Nino is on the way. And it could bring with it even more extremes and send temperatures off the charts. So what do we need to know about the arrival of El Nino? And is there anything we can do to prepare? From The Guardian, I'm Ian Sample, and this is Science Weekly. Damien Carrington, you're the Guardian's environment editor, and you've written about the return of El Nino. What is El Nino, first of all? Yeah, hi, Ian. Thanks for having me. So um, El Nino is uh, one half of a natural climate cycle, which uh, comes and goes over the period of a few years. Um, so El Nino is a warmer phase. La Nina, which is the other side of the cycle, that's the uh, cooler phase. And it's all down to uh, what's happening in the equatorial Pacific Ocean. In La Nina periods, which is what we've been in uh, for the last three years, which is a little bit unusual to have that run, what happens is the uh, trade winds around the equator and the Pacific Ocean are stronger going towards the west and that pushes the warmer water on the surface over towards the west and it kind of piles up over there. What happens when those trade winds uh, weaken is that that water comes flowing back across the Pacific, uh, spreading out all that kind of hot water and then uh, that's an El Nino. So La Nina leads to cooler temperatures around the world and in El Nino it leads to warmer temperatures around the world and of course um, that also has a big impact on regional weather patterns. And what sort of impact do these 
different cycles have on weather in different places? A lot, right? So um, this uh, El Nino-La Nina phenomenon is the biggest cause of year-to-year differences in weather in many regions around the world. Nearer um, the location of the Pacific, the stronger the effects. But um, so, for example, in the West Pacific, uh, places like Indonesia and Australia uh, get hotter and drier conditions during El Nino. Uh, China can suffer flooding in the Yangtze after big El Ninos. In uh, India, uh, the monsoon can be suppressed. Rains in southern Africa can also be reduced by El Nino events. And then in East Africa and the southern US, the opposite happens so that uh, you go from drier conditions to more rain and flooding. And you can even get uh, impacts as uh, far north as uh, Europe. So, for example, during El Nino events uh, in Spain, uh, you tend to get more rain. And how often do these events cycle around? I mean, are El Nino and La Nina very regular? No, they're not, um, which is uh, one thing that makes it uh, you know, a bit more tricky to keep a track of. It's usually the cycle operates over you know, three, four years, something like that, sometimes a bit quicker, sometimes a bit slower. The scientists also talk about neutral conditions, so when it's not really much of one or the other. Um, so there's a sort of transition phase as you go from, from one to the other. But you know, it's been studied for a long time, so people understand the impacts of it really well, and they, and they can sort of track it and forecast it to a certain degree. But in terms of uh, uh, you know, it's regularity. It's not not like clockwork. So, if El Nino and La Nina are normal parts of the global weather cycle, why should we be worried about an El Nino this year? The worry is that. When El Nino comes, it increases the average global temperature. And then on top of that, you've got this steadily rising temperature trend due to human-caused global heating because of all the uh, CO2 and other greenhouse gases we're pumping into the atmosphere. So when you get into that El Nino phase, which is the hotter phase, you're kind of supercharging the the, uh, trend of, of global heating that we're already experiencing. Other countries are undoubtedly going to bear the brunt of this, but are there any sort of impacts we might see here in the UK? The Met Office says that El Nino years can increase the risk of colder winters, actually, in the UK. But the biggest effects on um, our weather will probably not be related to El Nino. You've spoken to a good number of scientists about what they think could happen when El Nino comes back. What are they thinking? What are they saying? I think the short answer is they're all concerned. So um, there's a number of things to talk about. One is when will we pass the 1.5 degrees centigrade temperature target, which was set at the Paris Agreement? When will be the first time we cross that? And that's very likely to be when the next El Nino arrives, the scientists were telling me. I think the chance, according to the Met Office, is about 50-50 in the next five years that we'll cross that sort of symbolic um, threshold. People are also worried that, of course, you know, we've seen increasing heat waves around the world. They've been more intense. They've been more frequent. I mean, last summer in Europe was the hottest on record and was judged to have been impossible without the global heating trend. So when you then add in that sort of additional boost that you get to temperatures from El Nino, that's when you really start to worry. And, you know, the link between temperature and extreme weather around the world is is pretty direct in that, uh, obviously, with uh, heat waves, it's a very direct one, but also hotter temperatures in the seas can fuel more intense and stronger hurricanes. You also get more rainfall because there's more moisture in the air. There's a lot of concern. I mean, there's one person in particular, um, Professor Jim Hansen, who 
famously blew the whistle on climate change back in 1988 in front of the US Congress. He reckons, you know, by 2024, we'll probably see global temperature off the charts, in his words, if we get this uh, big El Nino. That 1.5 degree figure is such a significant one when it comes to how we think about the climate crisis. How do you think people will react if El Nino pushes us over that mark? It's a good question. I think that, um, first of all, you need to sort of think, well, okay, going above 1.5 for one year isn't the end of the world. It's, you know, when we get consistently above that, that um, we'll really be considered from you know scientific point of view to have passed that threshold because there is this uh, inherent variability from, from year to year. But standing back from that, uh, 1.5C as a target was put in the Paris Agreement. It was fought really hard for by um, a lot of the developing countries, including the small island states. And so it has become extremely symbolic. And I think that um, it will have a big impact on politics and people's perception that we've passed this threshold. And I think that will be important and hopefully that will help um, spur on more action. But what I'd also say is that, um, you know, the climate crisis is a a, a gradual one. So if we do pass 1.5C, it isn't actually a physical threshold, at which point a whole new bunch of extreme weather and other disasters is unleashed and so when you think about it if we do pass 1.5c consistently then you know we need to say okay let's keep it to 1.55 or 1.6 and fight for every tenth of a degree because every tenth of a degree that we manage to avoid simply means you know less suffering in the world So El Nino is certainly exacerbating the impacts of the climate crisis. But do we know whether rising temperatures themselves are feeding back and impacting on El Nino and La Nina events? The short answer is no, and it's a, it's a really good question because obviously in terms of forecasting, predicting, giving people early warnings of what's happening, knowing how that's changing because global heating is causing temperatures to rise all around the world is really important. But I spoke to um, Tim Palmer at Oxford, a professor there, and he was saying that essentially the climate models that um, they run aren't high enough resolution to really get a grip on that question. And so he's actually been um, working on a sort of campaign almost really to try and develop an international supercomputing effort. He sort of likened it to the the large uh, Hadron Collider at CERN, which allows particle physicists from lots of different countries to do more than uh, they could by themselves. And he he sort of wants a $1 billion international supercomputing centre, which would then be able to attack this problem and and find out a bit more about how global heating itself affects the uh, cycle between uh, the two phases of El Nino and La Nina. Do we know that El Nino is definitely going to hit this year? And if we do, do we know roughly when it might kick in? In terms of uh, forecasting El Nino, um, the scientists I was talking to talked about a spring predictability gap. And what they meant was that until you've got past the spring, it's quite hard to be very sure about what's going to happen. So they'll have a much better idea probably around May, June time. At the moment, though, the scientists are predicting there's about a two-thirds or 66% chance of uh, El Nino returning. In terms of the timing of it, that's um, much better known because there's been you know lots of El Nino's 
Leninias over the last century when people have been uh, studying them. So they know that pretty well. So uh, El Nino tends to arrive in terms of these raised temperatures in the equatorial Pacific around September time. And because this um, this sort of extra heating that it brings takes a while to uh, feed through into the climate system in terms of uh, you know global annual temperatures, it's 2024 when there's this likelihood that the uh, a new record would be set. So now that we can predict when El Nino might be coming, at least with you know some level of accuracy, are there things we can do to prepare for this year? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, so the meteorologists around the world have been working uh, to try and improve their uh, forecast of El Nino, La Nina cycles um, for for a long time, because obviously the more you can do to prepare for different weather conditions, the better. So most famously with the anchovy fishermen off Peru, their fish stocks absolutely disappear when one phase of the cycle comes along. So there's, there's, there's some knowledge there. It can be in terms of, you know, readying emergency services if you think there's going to be more heat waves or more floods. For farmers in some places, it might influence the choice of crops they're going to sow for the, the following season. So absolutely, there's a, there's a great deal uh, that can be done. And sort of in parallel with this, actually, the uh, UN through the WMO, that's the World Meteorological Organization, are having a big push at the moment to try and get early warning systems in place for particular sort of intense events like uh, floods, hurricanes and heat waves. You know, one of the reasons I, I kind of wanted to write the story was just to sort of raise the issue um, because we know it's coming and um, the more preparation that we can do, the better. Thanks to Damien Carrington. You can read his article about El Nino at theguardian.com. And that's it for today. This episode was produced by Holly Fisher. The sound design was by Solomon King. And the executive producer was Ellie Bury. We'll be back on Tuesday. See you then. This is The Guardian. Looking for your next great podcast? We live in unprecedented times. To make sense of it, what if you could learn from some of the most influential people on the planet? The podcast Tools and Weapons is hosted by Microsoft's Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Every week he has a candid conversation with guests, including Prime Ministers and Pulitzer Prize-winning journalists. The latest episode features Bayer CEO Bill Anderson. Though most of us know Bayer for pharmaceuticals, They're also focused on crop science. They're putting digital tools in the hands of farmers to get the most out of every acre. Listen to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by Lexus. Some things do more than their stated functions because exceptional things inspire you to do exceptional things. To this select list, we add the all-new Lexus GX. With its exceptional capability, you'll see possibilities you never knew existed, sending you far outside your comfort zone. But as much as the GX challenges you, it also spoils you. Its intuitive technology and luxurious features mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Live up to it. The all-new Lexus GX. 